Well, if you didn't already know it, you do now. But on the 6th of June this year, or more precisely the 6th day of the 6th month of the 6th year, 666 of course being the devil's mark from Revelation, but on that date, a remake of the movie The Omen is opening in movie theatres around the world. Now, if you're not familiar with the original Omen, blessed are you really, but it's actually a trilogy of movies which told the story of a boy called Damien, also referred to as the Antichrist in the movie. And the movies described how Damien grew up and he moved his way through the political ranks so that by the time you got to the third movie, Damien, the final chapter, by then Damien is about to become president of the United States and he is just one step away from his evil goal of worldwide domination. Now, friends, I tell you all this because that particular storyline, in fact, draws very heavily on parts of the Bible, especially in Revelation, where many people really do see that the Bible predicts a future tyrant, someone who will come to power, who will throw the world into utter turmoil and tribulation. Uh, This future person will glorify and spread evil throughout the world. They'll oppose Jesus. They'll trick people into worshipping him instead of God. And according to this interpretation, this future person is called the Antichrist from here in 1 John, or the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians, or the beast from the book of Revelation. And it's not just Hollywood and it's not just the omen. Uh, This is very, very widely held interpretation amongst Christians. If any of you have read the popular Tim LaHaye book series, the Left Behind series, Uh, that uh, sold thousands upon thousands of copies. Uh, Tim LaHaye's a Christian, and that's the basic interpretation that his books take, that there will be this future tyrant, this future antichrist, who will throw the world into tribulation, which makes for pretty exciting reading and pretty spooky movie trailers, really. But I'm wondering whether it can actually all be a bit unhelpful when it comes to a passage like this morning's where the antichrist actually gets mentioned. Because the danger of all that Hollywood stuff, 666, Mark of the Beast stuff, bouncing around in there, the danger is that you will actually miss the main point of the passage. Because the passage is not about what might happen in the future. The passage is about what was happening back then and which may well still be happening now. Let me show you what I mean by approaching this passage in the same way that we've been approaching all the passages throughout this series under the headings of the truth affirmed and the truth applied. Because remember the context of this letter. John is writing this letter at a time when lots of Christians are falling victim to a false version of Christianity that's that's doing the traps. And John has written this letter to help the genuine Christians know that they're genuine and not to be worried or intimidated by these false teachings. And to that end, John's been saying things like, real Christians follow the real Jesus the Jesus that he saw and touched and uh, heard. Real Christians own up to real sin. Uh, Real Christians are really obedient to God. Last week we saw that real Christians really love each other. And this week John now adds another characteristic. It's that real Christians follow Jesus as the real Christ. And that's a truth that's embedded in this passage in verse 22. Have a look at that one. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. 
Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. It would seem that part of the particular false teaching that's going around at the time John wrote this letter, part of the false teaching was that Jesus was not the Christ. And John refers to the people who were teaching that sort of thing as Antichrist. We'll get to that in a moment. For the moment, appreciate simply that John wants to affirm that, no, no, Jesus is the Christ. In other words, Jesus is God's appointed king and ruler, which is what Wayne was talking to the children about earlier, because that's what the word means. Christ means king, and it's a title used in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, for God's chosen king, who is the master of everything, the one whom God appoints to have the right to tell everyone how to live. And John is saying, hey, that's Jesus. Jesus, the the man I spent time with, who I saw and heard and touched, he is God's chosen king over everything. Makes him an important person. A little while back down the street, I saw a woman uh, wearing a T-shirt that said, uh, because I'm the mum, that's why. Most of us have probably heard our mum say that sort of thing. You just do it because I'm the mum. I don't need to give a reason. You just do it because I'm the one who gives the orders, not you. Now, Jesus could wear a T-shirt a bit like that, only his would say, because I'm the Christ, that's why. Because, you see, he doesn't need to give a reason for telling us to do things. It's just because of who he is. He is God's chosen ruler over everyone, a man of enormous power and authority. And the Apostle John is affirming here, look, that's the person I spent time with. That's Jesus. He's the one who gives the orders, not us especially not these false teachers that are floating around. But I'm wondering whether there's more to Jesus being the Christ than just an authority sort of thing. Because jump with me across the page to chapter 4 and verse 3, where there's another mention of, the Antichrist, of this Antichrist. Chapter 4, verse 3. Although I'll pick it up at verse 2 just for the context. Verse 2. This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that doesn't acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Notice the mention of that Antichrist again. We'll get back to that. But again, notice it's a person who does not acknowledge Jesus. And this time it's more than not just acknowledging that he's the Christ Now in verse 2, it's not acknowledging that Jesus has come in the flesh from God. In other words, when John affirms the truth that Jesus is the Christ, he's not just saying that Jesus is the one with all authority. He's saying that Jesus is the one with all authority because he is God himself. Jesus is God in the flesh, which hopefully you remember is exactly how he started his letter, wasn't it? All that emphasis right at the beginning of the letter about having seen and heard and touched Jesus who was God appearing to him. The life appeared, we saw it, we testified to it. That which was with the Father has appeared to us. He's already talked a lot about that. Now roll that into uh, what he's saying here about the Christ and the truth that John is wanting to get straight in his readers' minds, the truth that he's affirming is that Jesus is the Christ, he's the ruler of all, of, of all humanity, Because he is God come to earth. That's why he's the Christ. He is God come to earth in real flesh. 
Now, of course, that can seem a really stupid thing to say, can't it? And many people, of course, reckon that John's just looney tunes for thinking this sort of thing. People thought that of John back in John's day. That's partly why he's writing this letter. We need to remember what we discovered at the beginning of 1 John. John is an eyewitness. He saw, he heard, he touched. And he is telling us from someone who ought to know Jesus is the rightful ruler of everything because the man was God in the flesh. And having affirmed that truth, John now does his characteristic thing of applying it, applying it to his reader's situation. And this is where the whole Antichrist thing comes in. Verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. Their going showed that none of them really belonged to us. It can always be unnerving when people leave your church, especially when they leave saying that they're going because you've got it wrong. Uh, You're not spiritual enough. Don't understand Jesus properly. We're out of here. That seems to be what's happened in John's original reader's case. People who reckon that it's silly to think that Jesus could be God in the flesh, those people have left the church saying, it's just a dumb idea. Jesus is God. That's intellectual suicide. That is just blind faith. Okay, he was a good man, terrific religious leader, wonderful moral teacher. But to say that Jesus is God, that's just silly. Lots of people think that nowadays, don't they? Mind you, back in John's day, the false teachers that he's specifically got in mind, they probably weren't saying that so much as they were saying that Jesus was God, but only in a spiritual sense. That Jesus appeared to be a man in a, in a, in a mystical sort of way. That he was a vision of God, but he didn't really come in flesh and blood. They reckon that that would be philosophically impossible for God to do. Now, that's not all that a common thought nowadays, although it's probably what John specifically has in mind, because that's one of the heresies that really was very popular in the early church. It was called Gnosticism, and it was very, very popular. Lots of churches fell victim to it. And if John's talking into that situation, that makes sense as to why he wants to stress the point here that he, you know, he's touched Jesus. He, Jesus just didn't appear as a mirage. He was flesh and blood. So don't believe these false teachers who say... Otherwise, In fact, John refers to them as antichrists. Verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have come. That's what he repeats down in verse 22, wasn't it? Who is the liar? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the antichrist. Now, friends, it's here that we've got to put all the Hollywood movies and the Christian fiction novels to one side. What is obvious is that John is not talking about a future person at all. He's talking about people who are already roundabout. It's the same in that chapter 4, verse 3 that we looked at earlier. Verse 4, 3. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. 
Again, you see, it's, already, it's referring to people who are already in the world. It's the same across in 2 John, verse 7, which also mentions the Antichrist. And just for completion, let's jump the page to that. 2 John, verse 7. Sounds funny not giving a chapter reference, but that's because there are none. 2 John, verse 7. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have, past tense, gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver. Any such person is the antichrist. Now, friends, we have just read every single verse in the Bible that mentions the antichrist by name. You're an expert on the topic. We have read every, every verse in the Bible on it. And what is really clear is that it's not about people who are to come into the future. It's about people who are already in the world. I'm labouring the point, I know, but it's because it's not what you'll see in the movies. And it's not what you'll even read in most Christian books. But when you, when you actually read John's letters, it's pretty obvious. And sure, the church he's writing to have heard that an antichrist is coming, but John's whole point in telling them is he's already here and there's more than one of them. The Antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus is the king of humanity. The Antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus is God come in the flesh. Which leads John on to his second application, which is that because there are lots of Antichrists around, it's really important for them to stick with the truth that they've already been given. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. It can take real courage to hold the line when peer pressure wants you to do something else, can't it? Peer pressure is a very powerful thing. I was talking to a Christian girl uh, just a little while back who's in a reading group with some of her non-Christian friends. And the way it works is that they all separately read a common book, usually a fiction book, and then they get together and have a nice supper or an afternoon tea and talk about the book that they've all read. Last year they read The Da Vinci Code. And when they all got together, pretty well, without exception, except for this one girl, pretty well all of them were saying what a great read The The Da Vinci Code was, and they had pretty much swallowed the whole conspiracy theory that the book is based on. And they were all saying, well, of course Jesus must have just been a man. Of course it's reasonable to believe that he got married and had kids. Of course the church would cover that up. That's the sort of stuff churches do. And the idea anyway of Jesus being God, that's just stupid. Who honestly believes that? Now I'm telling you, in a group, sitting with a group of friends, it takes courage to hold the line in that sort of conversation. And that is what John is encouraging his readers to do here. He's saying, look, hold your nerve. You have an anointing from the Holy One. All of you know the truth, he says. In other words, God's Spirit himself has taught you the truth. So don't be put off by other people saying other things. You know the truth, therefore remain in it. Which is his third application. Verse 24. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. 
Notice the repetition of the word remain in those sentences. It's an active word. It's a proactive word. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Don't just know the truth now, stay in it. It's what's emphasised in the next couple of verses as well, verse 26. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Remain in him. Did you get the point? You're hearing the encouragement. You have God's spirit. He has taught you the truth about Jesus, so remain in it. Stick with it. Don't let go to the basics, the basics that Jesus is our king. Heck, he's the king of all humanity because he is God in the flesh. And friends, that is a good lesson for us to bear our focus on this morning because the warning that John gave to his original readers, it's just as valid nowadays, isn't it? For the specific false teaching that he was writing to, it mightn't be around anymore, but the spirit of that teaching, the spirit of the Antichrist is very much around. The spirit of denying that Jesus is the king, that is very common. In fact, given what John says here, it's hard to know just who we should be thinking of as Antichrist, just how general a term that might actually be. Is it a term that should be restricted just to false teachers who are in maybe a formal teaching capacity? Well, at the very least, that's what it means. But you almost get the feeling that John is a bit more generalised than even that. The feeling that any such person is the phrase he uses. Any such person who does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh is the Antichrist. Could that mean that many of us actually already know some antichrists? Could it be that some of us are rubbing shoulders with them every day? People who don't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh and by their very friendliness and persuasiveness may actually cause us to have some second thoughts about it ourselves. People like a neighbour, a friend maybe a marriage partner, a parent, a child, people whose opinions and whose respect matter to us, people whose friendships mean a lot to us, but people who so very nicely may be suggesting to us that all that stuff about Jesus just doesn't really make sense. Friends, it's happened to people in this church people whose faith has been undermined and whittled away and compromised by their friends, by their family members, by lovers who have denied that Jesus is the king. And heck, it may sound offensive to refer to someone that we actually know as an antichrist and maybe that is pushing the language a little too far. But maybe also our heads, perhaps our heads are so filled up with junk from Hollywood horror movies that we don't actually see the danger that John is alerting us to here. 
Because the fact is, many, many people don't believe what we believe. They don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. And a lot of those people who don't believe that mean a lot to us. And we're influenced by what they think of us. And some of us, for whatever reason, may be tempted to subtly shift our thinking. And we need to be really careful of that. We need to be able to recognise that thin edge of the wedge when it comes, which might take us away from Jesus. Because nothing and nobody is worth that. Friends, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. I'll pray. Father God, thank you for the things that you have been showing us throughout this series in 1 John, for your love of us, for your desire to forgive our sins, for the privilege of being able to love one another and be transformed by your love. Father, our our request of you is that those truths would remain in us, please. Thank you for giving us a church family and may we be good at holding each other accountable so that we might press on and persevere. Father, the truths that you have taught us in your word, we want to remain in them. Please help us to do that. Amen.